Awesome. So my name is Brian, um, and I wanted to speak a little bit about college first tonight, uh, because that's where this ministry that I'm involved in was birthed. Um, I am here tonight because I was a random potluck uh, roommate of Dr. Glenn Butner. How many of you people, how many people, how many of you know who know him, have taken a class with him? See an okay professor? So-so, so-so, that's what I thought. Um, so initially when we went to college together, uh, we weren't friends, um, primarily because he's a better person than, than I am. Um, but slowly we were able to start this friendship. But to give you kind of an idea of what it was like between us uh, at college, um, there was a day where, I'm going to call him Glenn from now on because I can't call him Dr. Butner. Uh, there was a day where Glenn got this giant box of apples. And he was really, really excited about this box of apples and was like, you got to try these apples. These apples are amazing. And, and I was like, I don't want to brag, but I've eaten at least an average, if not above average amount of apples. And, and so I wasn't impressed, right? And so what I would do is I would sneak into his room um, when he wasn't there and do things like microwave apples for five minutes or like 10 minutes to see what happens when you microwave apples. And spoiler alert, they, um, they look like vomit and they smell like vomit. And they're like fun to leave in places. So, so what I did one day was, this was like a complete throwaway uh, prank. I was like, I'm going to put an apple, because I've been harassing him for like weeks about these apples. I'm going to put it into his bag so that he gets to class and he opens up his bag to get a pen. He's going to be like, Brian, put apples in my bag. He won't leave me alone. And so I did it, like expecting him to like come the next day and be like, but he didn't. Um, so that was in the fall semester uh, of school. Come winter break, come spring semester, he comes into my room furious at me. And I'm like, what did I do? He's like, my bag has been smelling weird for weeks. <laughs> and I just opened this pocket that I never ever used and have never used on this bag, I didn't even know it existed, and found a rotting apple. <laughs> um, so from that, him and, he and I, a uh, birthday nonprofit um, that has impacted thousands of lives. <laughs> um, college was a bit tough for me. I'm from Portland, Oregon, um, and I went to school at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Uh, when I went there, I was the only student from Oregon um, in the entire 24,000 undergrad campus. And it was very much a pretty big culture shock for me. Um, my first year there, I was pretty miserable, uh, missing home, missing my people, my culture. And, and so I filled out everything to transfer, was ready to leave. Got talked out of it by my parents, ended up staying there all four years, but never quite felt like I fully fit in to this place that I was attending school um, and developing for my future. Uh, my senior year of college, I started to deal with the fact that I had been self-injuring since middle school. Had never really understood what self-injury was because back then people didn't talk about self-injury. I didn't know what it was. I never heard of it really up until I finally realized I have been self-injuring uh, most of my life that I can remember. Um, and one of the things I wanna say actually is I really appreciate 
people younger than me because you guys are so much like smarter about mental illness than we were back then and like so much better about talking about it and being there for each other and it really honestly gives me a lot of hope um and a lot of times people are like younger generations but i like it, it's really awesome to see that growth and development that's been happening in that so i started dealing with um all the self-injury at the same time i was at a place in my life where i was like it seems like everyone I'm coming into contact with, I feel like I'm hurting them. Like, I just don't feel like anyone is doing better because I exist. Um, and so I got to this place where I was like, the best thing that I could do in this world, the kindest, most merciful thing I could do in this world is get rid of myself. Um, and began planning how I would uh, kill myself. Um, so that continued until a year post-college to the point where I got everything ready, um, got within an inch of killing myself, couldn't do it. And it's pretty miserable when you're like, I even am failing at killing myself. Um, and I can't even do that for this world. Um, and so that happened, and it's pretty, in a pretty dark place. Um, and I got a phone call from this organization called the Lewis Plow Association about a month after this happen had happened. And they were like, hey, do you want to go to Rwanda with us? Um, we're going to be there for about a week. We'll drop you off with a family in Rwanda. And then we're going to be up in Uganda two months later. And you can meet up with us in Uganda. So I was like, I hate my job right now. So why not? Uh, quit my job and flew out to Rwanda. And something happened to me out there where I, uh, I experienced this deep, intimate love and grace. It was a love from God that accepted me exactly where I was. I didn't have to change, I was loved. But it also called me into what he had created me to be, that I could be someone impacting this world, I could be someone making a difference in this world. While this was happening, I was meeting all of these kids who were homeless in Rwanda. I don't know if anyone knows anything about Rwanda. Does anyone know anything about Rwanda? Anyone? Where it is, we could start with, yeah? Where is it? It's in Africa, brilliant. East Central Africa, um, it's a tiny country, about the size of Maryland. It had a genocide in 1994. Has anyone heard of the Rwandan genocide? Few people. At that time, there were about 8 million people living in Rwanda, um, and a million of them were killed. A uh, result of that was that the population was very, very young, uh, over 50% under the age of 18, uh, and there were a whole lot of orphans because kids' parents were either killed or they were put into prison for killing people, or sometimes both. Uh, and so there were all these kids who were homeless living on the streets of Rwanda. And so as God was reaching into my heart and telling me how much he loved me, how much value I had in spite of what I had thought about myself, I was meeting all of these kids who were being treated like they were dogs. Uh, in fact, they were actually called dogs. And if you, in the history of Rwanda, when the genocide happened, after all the people died, there were a lot of bodies in the streets. Dogs came in and ate the bodies, 
and became accustomed to human flesh and so started attacking human beings. So for these kids to be called dogs is what they were being called and being chased away. And I was like, oh God, I want to be this love. I want to be this grace to these kids because every one of these kids was created in the image of God. Every one of these kids was created for a purpose and they need to know that. And so from that, um, I started a nonprofit uh, that was, first year was 11 years ago. Um, I started it when I was 23 years old. Uh, and it was quite a journey. Uh, in 2009, there was a recession, uh, so nonprofits weren't raising money. So my first year, I went out on a, uh, trying to raise money, kind of like everywhere I could go, anyone who would talk to me. I had a giant mohawk, uh, which tip if you ever want to start a nonprofit, like giant mohawks aren't actually good for fundraising. Uh, I still would do it again, but um, so I spent several years actually sleeping on couches to, to get the nonprofit started uh, because I thought if I don't have a place of my own, at least these kids could. So all the money went, went to the kids. Um, and so that was the start of the nonprofit. And so I wanted to read a verse that was a prayer of ours when we started KFA to give you a little bit of an idea of our heart. And then I'll share just a little bit about what we're doing now. And then I have a video um, as well that we'll show. Uh, because I think it's so valuable to actually hear from the kids themselves and not just from me. So we're going to read from John 14, focusing on verse uh, 12, um, but we're going to start in verses 10. So Jesus said, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. So I want to focus on that last verse because that's a verse that we prayed over our kids, but it's also a verse that has always struck me as a bit odd, where Jesus, who claimed at that time to be the Savior of the world, I believe he was, uh, said that the people following him would do greater things than he would do himself, which is crazy, um, especially if you've ever met a Christian. Um, no. <laughs> well, um, if you, yeah. So I love this passage because it teaches us so much about the heart of God and it teaches us so much about leadership. We live in a world, and I think even within churches oftentimes, where the point of leadership is to maintain leadership. You become a leader, you get power, your goal becomes maintaining that power. And part of that means that the people below you are threats sometimes, or people from outside are threats because they can come in and take your power. Um, but Jesus, who always turned things upside down, is like, my role as a leader is for the people who are, who are my disciples to go out and do greater things than me. Um, and so when we started the CAFA project, our goal and our prayer was like, there are thousands and thousands of kids who are homeless in Rwanda. 
I can't possibly be the solution to that problem. I don't speak Kenya Rwanda. I spoke no Kenya Rwanda at that point, which is the native language in Rwanda. I don't fully understand the culture. I'm dealing with a whole lot of um, issues that have arisen from colonialization um, that limit sometimes what I can do in an impactful way. I can't be the solution to this. And also I'm one person. I can't, I can't save anyone. I couldn't save myself. I, I, so I couldn't save these kids. But the prayer was that these kids who we're working with would be the solution, that we could pour into them to empower them so that they could know how loved they are, how valued they are, and be able to use their skills, their gifts, their talents, and go out and transform other kids around them. And what we could have is this exponential impact where it's not me, it's not just the coaches who would join me from Rwanda, but it's these hundreds of kids that we're working with could go out and be the answer to child homelessness in Rwanda. And so what's really cool after being able to do this for 11 years is I've started to be able to see this happening. And it's so, so much better than living in fear that's often in leadership to be able to be like, I just need to take a step back and just watch the miracles that God is doing and watch what other people are doing and be able to connect and be a part of it. And so what we do uh, at CAFA is we run community soccer teams. Um, every one of the soccer teams is led by a native Rwandan coach. The coach lives in the neighborhood where they train the kids and they work not just as coaches, um, but also basically as social workers. So any problem that a kid has, the coach often is going to the family and intervening. If they think that there is some sort of issue going on in the family, the coaches go and visit the families. So it's been to the point where we've had one coach of ours who actually started in our programs and was homeless and be came through our programs and became a coach. He had a kid on one of his teams run away and his parents didn't know where that kid had run away to. And so what the coach did is he gathered all of his players. His players know where that kid went because there's basically a um, network that they're tapped into that can tell where kids are on the streets. And so they went and found that kid and he wouldn't go back to his family, but he would come to the coach. The coach uh, sat down and talked with him through all the issues that he was having and was able to understand what was going on in his life and able to take that kid back to his family, sit with the kid and his parents and talk through everything that was happening. And the kid was able to return back home and able to um, go back to school. And so it's a really cool pattern that we've created where this coach who was homeless is getting other kids out of the life that he grew up in. Um, one of the things that happened though early on is we realized not every kid can go back home. Not every kid is capable has a family capable of receiving him. So we opened a boarding soccer academy. Uh, everything we do is based around soccer um, because soccer is the buy-in for our kids. Our kids love it. It's a place where they get to have a community. It's a place where they don't feel alone in their problems. The number one thing that a kid says when they join our team is I thought I was alone and that no one else experienced what I experienced. And on this team, I found a safe place where I can share and find out that everyone else has been going through the same things. But some of the kids couldn't go home. Um, so we opened this boarding soccer academy. The boarding soccer academy is primarily for kids who come from pretty extreme abuse, uh, which to us usually means 
someone maybe tried, like pulled a knife on them, someone beat them to the point of bones being broken. Um, that's what that means to be able to come into our academy. Uh, other kids are in our academy because they actually grew up in houses that are so small that there are so many siblings that they can't lay head to toe and be able to fit into the house. So the oldest kid would go out onto the streets because he literally could not lay down to sleep in the house. Um, other kids left because of prostitution, because uh, their moms were actively doing prostitution at home, and so constantly they were bringing men into the house that were beating them, and so they had to run away. Um, that's what the academy is for. At the academy, we're able to feed the kids, put them into school, they train on a soccer team, and uh, yeah, everything, every need is met, and then we work alongside with their families, helping their families to develop economically, especially for those of them that couldn't provide a big enough house, um, and we work with them on parenting classes, on how can you discipline children without beating their children. So we work alongside with the families as well, because for every kid that's in my academy, they have eight, nine, ten siblings. Uh, and so our goal for every one of those kids is that they would be the impact to make a difference in Rwanda. And we've got to start to see it happening. Um, I have one kid, I will call him JC. When I initially met uh, JC, he was um, living with pigs um, primarily because he couldn't always sleep at his house, and so he was getting food from pig pens um, and eating alongside the pigs. Um, he entered into our academy when he opened it in 2012, and he excelled at soccer. Um, but more than that, he became just this, this kid that just loved other people. And so one of the things that we do at the academy is we give them a clothing stipend so they can go out and buy their own clothes, because um, we, like we think self-expression is important for them to learn to fully embrace themselves, uh, and he goes, you know what, I have clothes at this point. I don't need any more clothes, but I just met some kids who are homeless. Can I take what I've been given, and can I go and give it to these kids to, to buy them what they need? So he went and he sat down with the kids who were homeless, and he said, what is it that you need? And they were like, we need sandals, because the police are coming and rounding us up, because they're like, cleaning up homeless kids, rounding up homeless kids, and because we don't have shoes, they are always identifying us as homeless. So he, he got his kids, he took them along with him to the uh, market, and he bought them shoes. Out of this, all the other kids at the academy were like, started talking about how they wanted to make an impact, but they couldn't make an impact, they said, because we don't have money. You have to have money to make an impact. And so our staff sat down with them and challenged them. They said, what can you do to make an impact without money? And, and so the, um, the kids came up with a solution. They would go to single moms who were struggling in the community and with elderly women. And they went and they started repairing houses. And, and they would take the, all their friends from the community, they would swarm onto these houses. Uh, the way you make houses in part of Rwanda is you mix together the clay on the ground, and you turn it into a giant mud pit, and then you take the mud, you scoop it up, and you actually sling it onto the house and smooth it out, and it hardens into this concrete-like structure. Um, and so our kids would go and just attack these houses. And in a matter of like two or three hours, they had like fixed houses that people had been, ha for years, had been struggling to get fixed. 
And we were like, this is what we're talking about when we said we want our kids to do greater things than us. This is the vision that Jesus left us with, that the love that was put into me by God um, would then be carried out and put into these kids, and that these kids would go and take that love, and they would put it into more and more people. And through that, we would be able to see problems solved and realize that it was never, ever about me. It was never about us, but it was about a God who was doing great and wonderful things, and that this world could be changed and transformed. Uh, so I wanted to show you a video about one specific kid in our academy um, who's been able to do this in a very unique way. His name is Etienne. And so we're going to go ahead and play that video. Um, I don't know. When I, when I get to see stories like that uh, and to have known him since he was little um, and a quiet kid that, that went pretty unnoticed at our academy, honestly, uh, to grow up and to achieve his dream where he has an offer sitting on the table to play professionally, and he's like, I found something better, and the better thing is to take care of my family. Uh, professional sports in Rwanda are not like professional sports in the US. They don't pay very much. Um, it wouldn't be enough to take care of his sisters. And so to see him make that decision, uh, and actually, like when I met him, he didn't speak English, uh, and he's to the point now where he's doing a whole interview in English. So much so that um, in the past month, he became the English teacher at our academy as well um, because the kids want to learn conversational English. And so he's coming in every night and teaching them conversational English. It says something about, I think, who God is. It says something about this prayer that we said at the very beginning that people that maybe look like they're weak, people maybe look like they're not, he was not, he didn't stand out when we met him. He was a, of the kids in our academy, he was, he was our worst goalkeeper at the time. He wasn't all these things, and yet he was, he's being used in such a powerful, powerful way. And I just wanted to say in conclusion, one is that the world is better with you in it. The world is better with you in it. And that whether you're going to go into ministry, whether you're going to go into business, whether you're going to go into any field, our goal always should be that those people who are working for us do greater things than we could ever do because that's how we are able to truly make a change and a difference in this world. Thank you so much for having me.